This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Amen. We're starting off a brand new series this morning talking about habits. And the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is Seeking God First. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to start off with in this series because I grew up in church and... If you ask me what was the most important thing in life, what's supposed to be number one, I would say God, right? That'd be a pretty good answer for a pastor, right? Be a pretty good answer for any person who claimed to be a Christian to say, God's the most important thing in my life. I remember when I was a youth pastor that I was teaching a lesson to the youth that I was instructing that day about priorities. And I asked them, I said, hey guys, what is most important in your life? And I had a whiteboard similar to this up there. And they said, God, wrote it down, all right? Second most important thing in your life, my family. Aw, I wrote that down. Third most important thing, well, my friends, wrote that down. Fourth most important thing, oh, maybe my school or sports or their hobbies, whatever. You know, if they had a job, maybe their job. And they wrote those things down. That's a healthy order of priorities. I said, okay, now we're going to make another list. This list is going to go this way. What did you spend the most time thinking about this week? Oh, that was a different list. If we were honest with ourselves, right? So a lot of us know that we're supposed to seek God first, but we don't really know how that plays out in our lives. We don't know what that looks like. We know to say it, and the danger there is that because we as Christians can sometimes get really good at knowing what to say, that we think if we say it enough, that we've convinced ourselves that we're doing it, but we're not. Oh, I know the right answers, I know what to say, and so because in any given situation I can spit out the right answer, then of course it must be happening in my life. No, I want us to transition this whole seeking God thing from up here to right here. To where it's not something we know in our minds, but it's something that we live out through our hearts. Something that we really understand. And so we're going to talk about habits, and we're going to talk about the habit of seeking God first. So let's get real practical for a minute and just talk about the bare bones of what a habit is. A habit is a pattern, loop, or cycle that we practice in our lives. Stephen Covey, the author of the seven, highly, uh, the, the seven Habits of Highly Effective People, if you've read that book, it's a great book. He said it like this. He said, we become what we repeatedly do. Did you know that 45% of our daily activities are habits? Things we don't even think about. Here's what really makes up a habit. A habit begins with a cue or a trigger, okay? Something triggered this habit. And then what happens is this cycle begins, and somewhere along the line we're doing this habit, this cycle, to reap some sort of reward. This is really the basic makeup of what a habit is. There's a cue, something that starts it, and we're cycling through the habit in order to get the reward. Example, I am stressed out about work, 
And I am just freaking out with what's going on. There's so much drama going on. I hate being there. And then I come home and the house is a mess. The kids are pulling at me. My wife says, what are we going to have for dinner? And I'm going, are you kidding me? And so because the cue has now been set in my life, now starts the habit. The habit of perhaps trying to push people away to give me some space because I want the reward of being by myself and just detoxing from the day. And so the habit will become something that I think will get me to the reward. Now, the cue is not necessarily the problem. The reward's not necessarily the problem. The problem of the bad habit is the cycle that we use to get to the reward. And that pattern may be something of yelling. Get out of my face! Don't you know what kind of day I've had? Oh, if you only knew the stress I was dealing with, you wouldn't be asking me these questions. Leave me alone. The reward is I get to be by myself. But at what cost? You see, I entered into this pattern this of negative behavior because of that cue. Maybe I am depressed and I feel bad, so I know what will make me feel better. Spending more money will make me feel better when I feel bad or feel depressed. So when I feel the emotion or have that pressure of the bill coming in the mail that makes me depressed or the situation in life that I can't control that makes me feel depressed, then I want to then cue up the bad behavior of going out and trying to spin my way to happiness. I go out there because the reward is this temporary satisfaction, this temporary high that I get from having new stuff because I feel that it's going to somehow enhance my life, make me feel better. It's going to give me something that I'm seeking. The stress or the event or the circumstance cues it up and then play the habit and we go through the cycle to get that reward. And we go over and over and over again. I'm angry. I, I need to escape. So I run to the liquor cabinet to try to escape because the reward is it gives me some sort of temporary pleasure. And I begin these bad habits over and over again, looking for solutions from things that only God can truly provide the solution. But instead, I look for it from this pattern that I have created. Because somehow, we get convinced that these are the things that we need to have in order to be happy. So we do these different things under those circumstances. The beauty of habits, however, is that if we prioritize them God's way, it will align our lives to bring Him glory. So a habit can be a good thing, not just bad. But when we talk about habits, a lot of times we automatically think about the bad habits that we want to break. Or we automatically think about the habits that we struggle to develop in the good areas of life that we're trying to develop discipline in. But if we prioritize our habits God's way, it's going to align our lives in a way that's going to bring Him glory. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, what's happening here in this circumstance is Jesus is teaching on the mountainside, okay? He's teaching a great multitude of people. This is His famous Sermon on the Mount. He's taught about the Beatitudes. He's taught all these other things that maybe you've heard of before like that. And now He's transitioning into a different portion of the teaching there in that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22. This is what Jesus said. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, then your whole body is going to be full of darkness. So what Jesus is saying here is that I'm wanting you to see this. I'm about to share something with you 
And it's very important that you see this because it's going to bring light into your body if you see this, okay? This is going to be the way that you capture this and understand this. He said, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate one and he's going to love the other, or he's going to be loyal to one and he's going to despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So here we see Jesus is talking about you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon or things that are temporary. Money, stuff, houses, cars, positions, uh, the, the, the approval of other people, whatever the case may be. You can't serve both God and mammon because these things are going to deteriorate, is what he's saying. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body. What you're going to put on is not life more than food and your body. Isn't it more than just clothing? Why don't you look at the birds of the air? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but yet your heavenly Father, He takes care of them. He feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So then, why do you worry about clothing? Have you considered the lilies of the field, how they grow? They neither toil nor spin. He said, but yet I say to you, even Solomon the great King Solomon, who was the wealthiest man who ever lived, said, in all of his glory, he wasn't arrayed like one of these lilies. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, don't worry. Don't worry. Say, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Man, I don't know if that was like some type of uh, family vacation where the kids are at the back of the camel. What are we going to eat? i got to go to the bathroom. What are we going to drink? I'm thirsty. Sounds like a bunch of kids. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Jesus was referring at that time to the Gentiles, the people who did not know God. For your heavenly Father, He knows you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Any idea here what Jesus is addressing? Any idea? Why don't you talk to me for a minute? What is Jesus addressing here? Any thoughts? Anybody? Just yell it out at me. It's cool. Don't, don't, be, don't freak out on me. Come on. Worry? Okay. Jesus is addressing worry. What'd you say? Faith? Stress. Stress? Okay. Okay. Fear. All right. Trust. I got trust up there. All right. So let's, let's, let's take this list here. And this, these are all good things. And, and you're all right. So congratulations. You win the door prize. <laughs> Jesus is addressing worry, faith, stress, trust, fear, all of those things. But yet there's something about these. These are all a symptom of the core of what's really going on. These are all right, very much so. Jesus is addressing these, but Jesus is not being scatterbrained with his teaching here. Jesus is wanting us to understand we shouldn't worry, but we know that, right? I mean, we know we shouldn't worry. We know worry doesn't help things. So why is Jesus telling us not to worry? We know not to be afraid. I mean, do we really need Jesus to say don't be afraid? Do we really need Jesus to say don't worry? Because don't we know those things are not healthy for us to do? 
I think there's something deeper here that Jesus is actually addressing if we look at the Scripture in context. You know how I always teach you that it's important that we look at Scripture holistically and not just compartmentally or just pull something out to make it say what we want it to say or what sounds good to us. But let's look at the whole thing. That's why we read 6, 22 through 34, so we could look at the whole span of what is being said here. Because Jesus said more than don't worry, have faith, don't be stressed out, you need to trust me and don't be afraid. He said more than that. And the core of the issue is what we need to get to. Now, if you've been through Trek at our church, you'll understand one of the tools that they teach you in Trek, which is fabulous, it's called laddering. And what you do is you ask the question of a symptom or a reactive behavior. You ask the question of, if that is true, then what? And you keep asking that question to the answer of the previous question of, if that's true, then what? Until you get to an answer where you give an answer where you say, because I am, or something that has to do with your identity and who you are. Because that really helps us get down to the core of what's going on. So we're going to do a bit of laddering here with what Jesus just taught. He just told us, don't worry, we need to have faith, we don't need to be stressed out, we need to trust, and we don't need to be afraid. That's very true. You're all correct in saying that. But let's take the example of money. We're worried about money. We're stressed out about money. We don't have enough faith to trust God for money, so we're afraid because of money. Well... If you run out of money, you lose your job, if that's true, then what? If that is true, if that actually happens, the thing that you're freaking out about, if that happens, then what? Well, then I'm afraid I won't have enough. Okay, I'm worried about lack. I won't have enough. My, my kids won't have enough. My husband okay, okay, well, if that's true, you don't have enough because you run out of money, well, well then what? If that's true, then what's next? Well, if, if, if I don't have enough, well, then uh, I, I'm afraid we're, we're going to be without. We won't be provided for. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that, that I guess you know, we're, we're going to have to possibly move or change jobs. or I, I don't know. Uncertainty, maybe. Okay, maybe that's true. Maybe it's uncertain. Uncertainty. I think I spelled that right. Uncertainty, maybe. Well, if, if, if that's true, you're afraid of lack, afraid of things being uncertain. Well, well, then what? If that's true, well, then I'm afraid that I, 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 won't, I won't matter anymore. Oh, so now we're addressing a different issue here. We've drilled this down to something. Oop. We've drilled this down to significance. Hang on a second. I'm worried that I won't have enough because I'm afraid of, of having, not having enough. And, and I'm uncertain because I'm afraid that if I don't have enough, then all of a sudden, I, I, do I matter? Do I matter to God? Do I matter to anyone? Because maybe I'll lose my job. Maybe I'll lose my position of influence. Maybe I'll lose being able to have certain things. And so at the core, what I'm really worried about, what I really have a lack of faith about, what I'm really stressed out about, what I'm really struggling trusting, what I'm really afraid of, is that I won't matter. And the big question is, does God really care? Does God really care? Because we all say God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Mm, come on, somebody. 
We can say that all day long in church. You can slap your neighbor, high-five your neighbor. God is good. Amen. But do we live our lives in a way that really reflects that we believe that? Because it sounds good, and it's one of those church things that we can say over and over again, but do we really understand it? Because Jesus is really addressing the I am statement of, I'm not going to matter. Am I really significant? Do I matter? Is God really good? Does he really care? Do we really believe that he is faithful? So here's the thing. Jesus answers that question in the context of the scripture we just read. Because Jesus gives us a few examples of things in our lives that we consider to be very insignificant. He says, what about the birds? What about those birds? He said, they don't worry. They don't freak out. We consider them insignificant. I don't know, maybe you're a bird lover. Maybe, you're a bird, maybe birds aren't insignificant. I'm offending you right now. I apologize if that's the case. <laughs> I was driving down the road the other day, and I hit a bird, and I felt bad for like five seconds, and then I forgot about it. Have you ever been driving, and, and you, you smack a bird, and you're like, oh, poor birdie, and then you're like, huh, I wonder what I'm going to eat later on today. <laughs> I mean, that, that's kind of that's how it goes. I'm not being a jerk. I'm just saying that there are birds everywhere. I mean, there, I mean, my goodness, there's a bird that made a nest on the roof of my deck behind my house, and it's pooping all over my deck. And I'm like, will you move out already, you know? I mean, that's the only thing that I think about when I think, I think about birds. I, I don't, other than looking at them, thinking they're beautiful, and I, I'm grateful for them. But God said, hey, have you thought about the birds? Well, honey, I guess i got to go to work today, provide for those little Little uh, chicks we got in the nest. Well, off to work. I'm really worried about how the boss is going to treat me out there. You know how it is at the worm farm. <laughs> that was a terrible example. <laughs> they don't freak out about that. How am I going to pay the mortgage on this nest? They're not freaking out about that. God provides for those birds, right? He takes care of them. What's another thing? He said, what about the lilies? Let's look at some flowers. Flowers, they're beautiful. Birds, they're beautiful. But guess what? They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. I mean, God clothed them in beauty. He said, what about grass? I don't know about you. Not a fan. (laughs) I know some of you can't wait for the snow to melt. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for mowing season once. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Some people think it's therapeutic. I don't. Matter of fact, when my lawn gets high, I walk up to my lawn and I look at it. And I begin to cast the devil out of the growth of that lawn. In Jesus' name, you come out. Or I walk up to it and I think, I'll procrastinate and mow my lawn tomorrow. And then tomorrow never comes until eventually I just have to do it. I'm not a fan. Some people really enjoy it. It's therapeutic for them. I understand. It's great if that's you, but not me. Jesus said, what about the grass? Grass isn't freaking out going, oh no. Oh no, what's going to happen to me? We don't think about that. He said, it's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But yet, it doesn't worry because God provides the sun. God provides the rain. God provides the nutrients in the ground. God provides everything that that grass needs. And here's the thing. He said, 
How much more valuable are you than these things? These things are special. They're beautiful. We enjoy them. But they're here today, gone tomorrow. How much more valuable are we than these things? We can value these things, but you are more valuable than grass. Amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you're more valuable than grass. You'll bless them today, I promise you. (laughs) Neighbor, I want you to know you're more valuable than grass. You're worth more to God than a bird. Even though those things are precious in His sight because He says there's not one that falls from heaven that He doesn't know about. Isn't that cool? You know God says, I know the number of hairs on your head. Some of us He knows, I guess, a little bit better than others. You guys didn't get enough coffee today, did you? That was the slowest laugh ever. (laughs) I'm glad you caught up. All right. (laughs) But here's the thing. Do I matter to God? Yes, you matter to God. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Yes, you matter to God. He cares about you more than grass, flowers, or birds, but yet he takes care of those things and cares for them too. He's not indifferent towards birds, flowers, or grass. That's why he created it, but he takes care of it. And, 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 and how much more does he value you? Jesus said, you're much more valuable. So therefore, Jesus says, don't worry. See, you know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Do I matter to God? Am I significant in his eyes? Yes. Even if you lose all of those things, your value does not change because your value is not tied to the amount of those things you possess. In our culture and in our society, we have tied those things to our success. What kind of car I drive, what kind of house I live in, what kind of things I'm able to do. If I can do all of those things, then I feel valuable, then I feel significant. Jesus says those things don't make you valuable or significant. The amount of accumulation of those things or the freedom for you to be able to exercise and go do those things at your will or at your leisure, that doesn't make you valuable. He said, what makes you valuable is that he chose you, he loves you, and he knows the needs you have. He said, instead of seeking after those things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of those things are going to be taken care of. The world tries to tie your significance to things, to position, to your bank account, to your popularity. God ties your significance to himself. Oh, I'm going to say that slow, so I can say that some more. God ties your significance to himself, not to things. We tie our significance to things, but God ties our significance to himself because your pursuit of God impacts how you view yourself. Your pursuit of God impacts how you view yourself. It's where I get my identity from. Is my identity coming from Christ Or is it coming from my pursuit of things? You see, the way you see yourself is going to impact everything in life. If I have always heard I'm a loser, guess what? I'm going to act like a loser if I believe that. Right? If I have always been told I'm a failure and I believe that, and I identify with that, then I'm not going to want to attempt things or step out and do anything because I'm afraid I'm going to fail. And then if I do step out and it doesn't work out, I go, see, told you so. And you think you're just a failure. God wants you to see yourself the way he sees you. Amen? 
God wants you to see yourself as forgiven, as free, as right in his eyes so you will act like it. If I don't believe I'm forgiven, I'm not going to act like I'm forgiven. If I don't believe I'm free, I'm not going to act like I'm free. If I don't think I'm right in the eyes of God and God is always angry with me and disappointed in me, then I'm never going to act like I'm loved and I'm never going to feel the value He wants me to feel. And I'm not going to act out of that value. When I act out of the value that God truly wants to use to define me, then that is going to bring Him glory because it's going to show the world that somebody is valued by the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's going to show the world that God loves me right where I am. And it has nothing to do with my performance. It has nothing to do with how good I've been. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And when I put my identity and wrap my identity up in Him, then all of a sudden, the character of Christ begins to shine through my life. Because it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for me. He's alive in me and living through me because my identity is wrapped up in Christ. Not in my past, not in my failures, not in what everybody said about me before. Oh, you remember so-and-so back in the day. Hey, what's up? Let's do what we used to do. No, that's not who I am anymore. I have a new identity. I have a new identity. I'm not going to concern myself with these things anymore. I'm not going to concern myself with feeling insignificant because my significance is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. That's why, amen. That's why seeking God first, seeking God first is what we call a keystone habit. Seeking God first is a keystone habit. You want to know what a keystone habit is? It's a habit that affects other things in my life. So I start off here seeking God first. And I begin to build this keystone habit into my life. And then it begins to ripple out into other areas of my life. It begins to affect everything. It begins to affect my kids. It begins to affect my finances and the way I handle those. It begins to affect my marriage. It begins to affect my work. It begins to affect my morals. It begins to affect my purpose. It begins to affect my joy, my peace. It begins to affect so many other things in my life because it's a keystone habit. When I begin to put God first place in my life and I seek God first, then I'm acting out of the fact that I understand I'm valued because I've spent time with God and I've reminded myself of the gospel. I've reminded myself of who I am in Christ because it's not a one-time event because I can forget real quick. I can forget whose I am real quick. I can want to control the situation real quick. I can want to get back in the driver's seat real quick when I feel things are not going my way. I can be selfish. I can be impatient. I can make foolish decisions. But if I start my day off developing this keystone habit of seeking God first, it begins to influence all of these things, not only throughout the day, but throughout my life. Amen. Because my pursuit of God 
is going to help reflect how I see myself. Am I seeing myself the way that God sees me? Am I always feeling like I'm carrying around my past? Am I always feeling like I'm carrying around my struggles? Am I always feeling like I'm carrying around my pain? And I've just identified with it. It's become part of who I am, and I just don't know how to exist without it. But God is saying, no, I want you free from that stuff, healed, full of joy, full of peace, having a God-honoring marriage, raising kids who love and fear the Lord, handling your finances in a way that brings Him glory, being a person that is moral, being a person of purpose, being a person who, 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 is, a, who is a great employee, giving light and love to those other people, showing them the love and truth of Jesus Christ through the way you conduct yourself, because you seek God first, because you understand you're bought with a price. You see, reminding myself of the gospel daily, seeking God first is what helps me see and feel and know I am loved. If I am loved, then I know I am significant. And if I know that he has given me value by sending his son Christ to die on the cross for me in my fallen state, then I know that I am loved beyond measure. Amen? Amen. Amen. I am loved with an unfailing love. That his mercies are new every morning. That his love never fails. That it never gives up. Amen? Amen. And when I remind myself of that, it helps me to act like I'm worth something. Because whether you believe it or not, God has set you up to win. Now let me clarify this. Because I know that some of you may be like, I don't feel like I'm winning in life right now. I didn't say that everything in your life was going to go the way you wanted it to. Hello, somebody. Just because God has set you up to win doesn't mean that God has set you up to make everything in your life go without any conflict, struggle, or anything like that. Matter of fact, there's going to be many struggles and trials and junk in this world. But Jesus said, don't worry about that, little children, because I've already overcome the world. You see, here's the thing. God has set you up to win, and what that means... It's not that everything's going to go your way, but rather it means that I understand and know that I am valued, I am loved, and I am significant to my Father, and nothing and no one can change that. Amen? Amen? That's what that means. And if I know that, then I walk the rest of my life. You can take everything on this earth physically away from me, everything precious and dear to me, but it does not change the fact that I am valued and loved by the Creator of the universe. And if I understand that, and if I believe that, then it's going to change the way that I face adversity. It's going to change the way I face trials and circumstances. It's going to change the way that I deal with people treating me poorly. Amen? Amen. Just because you're a Christian don't mean people ain't going to treat you bad. Matter of fact, sometimes people are going to treat you bad just because you're a Christian. Sometimes people are going to do things that it's not fair, it's not right. But if I respond like a person who knows whose they are, then I'm going to understand who I am because I'm bought with a price. Because I'm bought with a price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on Calvary for you and for me. Not when we had it all together, not when we figured life out and started being decent people. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For it's written, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. So Jesus became a curse for us by taking on our sin and killing it and burying it and then raising three days later victoriously. Amen? Amen? He took our sin 
to the cross and then buried it in the grave. And he has set you up to win because he wants you to know that you're valued. He wants you to know that you're loved. He wants you to know that you're special to him because if he cares about birds, if he cares about flowers, if he cares about grass, how much more does he care about you? So in order to remedy this, he says, I'm going to give you the solution, not only the diagnosis, but the solution to this problem, which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Now, what does that mean to seek God's righteousness? What is God's righteousness? God's righteousness is Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus is right in the eyes of God because he's perfect in every single way. And he has made me righteous because of what he did for me. Amen? Not because of what I did. So in other words, I believe that Jesus is saying, remind yourself of your need for me. Remind yourself of your need for the gospel. Remind yourself of where your righteousness truly comes from. And then all of a sudden I feel loved. Wow, you mean somebody would do that for me? Someone would pay that price for me? Because how quickly can I forget that and start acting like this was somehow all about me, right? Like I figured all this out somewhere, somehow. But when I remind myself of the gospel, oh, it humbles my heart. When I allow that weight to change my heart, it begins to make me feel valued and loved. You see, here's the thing. When we are loved and significant, we understand that, that no one, nothing can change it. It sets me up to be an overcomer, to be a victor in this life. It helps me realize who I am by first recognizing whose I am. We're all going to have seasons of doubt. Don't get me wrong. We're going to go through times of trials and tribulation and, and doubt and, 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 and fear will try to creep in and take over. We, you may have difficulty struggling with bad habits. You may struggle with putting God first in your life. But you make it through the seasons of doubt by celebrating small victories along the way. I think sometimes we get overwhelmed in this whole seeking God first thing, and it may go something like this. Honey, you know the pastor's right. We need to seek God first. So here's what we're going to do. I know we normally wake up at 6.30, but I think that we need to set the alarm for 4.30 because God deserves our best. 4.30 a.m., we're going to wake up. And we're going to spend that first 30 minutes just meditating on the goodness of God while putting in our favorite praise and worship CD. And then after that, we're going to go find some homeless people and we're going to feed them and clothe them and bathe them. It will be a little awkward, but it'll bring glory to God. And then we're going to, we're going to come back home and we're going to wake our children up and we're going to pray with them. And then we're going to walk through the forest and talk about how God is so wonderful and how God, we can see God in nature. And then the children are going to worship God and pray and we're all going to cry out for the nations and we're going to cry out for our, 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 our political system to, to be, to be God honoring. We're going to pray for all the churches and all the pastors and, 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 and everyone. We're going to pray for everyone. We'll just pray for everybody. And then after that, we're going to start our devotion book that we bought the other day. You know that one that's been sitting on the shelf gathering dust for so long? It's time to brush the dust off that devotion book and get past the first ten pages like we tried last time. We're going to make it all the way through. And then after we're done with that, I think we'll have enough time to squeeze in an exhaustive uh, biblical study of Genesis and we'll try to get through Exodus too. And then we'll hug and kiss and go about our day and we'll have a wonderful day. 
You're not going to happen, right? You see, I think sometimes we overwhelm ourselves by thinking that's what we have to do in order to do this whole seeking God first thing. And we think that we have to just go all in or nothing. And yesterday at our Forge Men's Ministry, the group that I was a part of when we broke out in small groups, one of the things we talked about specifically was not allowing the enemy to trick us into feeling like failures because we don't have all of that stuff laid out and we're not doing all of those things just that way. Instead, we need to learn to celebrate those small victories. We need to go, you know what? Instead of me trying to wake up an hour early, I'm going to seek God first. I'm going to wake up five minutes early. If that's all you can do and that's where you're at, do that thing. Amen? Amen? Do that. You do where you're at and let traction build and gain from that point. Let momentum begin to build from that point. Amen? Don't overwhelm yourself and feel like you're a failure because you're not out there saving the world tomorrow because you're supposed to seek God first and you haven't read the Bible, you know, through in two weeks. Don't put that kind of guilt. That's what the enemy loves to do, make you feel like a failure, make you feel like you're not a good Christian. I would encourage you, start somewhere. Start somewhere. And if you've been in the same pattern for a while, maybe it's time to change it up. Maybe it's, time to, maybe it's time to try to spend more time with God in other areas or other ways. Maybe this is a message for you to challenge, to take it to the next level. Yes. And I, I loved also in our small group what, what, what one of the guys said. He was talking about how he was a new father. And, and he was talking about how uh, he, he, he just uh, had a, a nine-month-old in his house. And he said, I, I just want to make sure that this child is raised up, you know, not doing some of the things that I did and not going down some of the same paths that I went down. So one of the things that I have purpose to do is to spend time with people who have already been there and who have already done that and raised children that I can go, wow, I want my children to grow up and to exhibit some of those things that their kids exhibit. So I want to ask them questions. I was like, this guy's going to go ask other people questions about how they did it. That's great. That's awesome. Because that's how iron sharpens iron. So as one man's counting to sharpen another, amen? amen? That we ask people who've been down the road before to come alongside us and help us, to help us to grow. This is part of seeking God first, okay? This is some of the practicality of, of, of seeking God first because there's going to be seasons of difficulty. We need each other, amen? amen? To walk through those seasons of difficulty. If you feel like you're too exhausted and too beat up and too worn out to pray, let me tell you, have somebody come pray with you, Amen? Don't give up. Don't quit. I remember there was a season in my life where I couldn't utter anything out of my mouth to God except I still trust you. That was all I could say. I was too beat up to even want to pray. But I had to press through. That's where I was at that time. And then I was able to pray more. Then I was able to spend more time with God. But I was at a time where I, I, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was feeling like I was a victim feeling like I had done everything right and things just weren't working out. And then I said, I still need to seek God first and put Him first. Amen. And all I could say is, God, I, God, I still trust you. I, I trust you. That's all I got. That's all I got. Maybe that's all you have. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Start there. Don't stop putting God first in your life. Amen? Amen. Don't stop talking to Him. Don't stop engaging in getting to know Him more. Take opportunities and, and, and advantage of time when, when you're just enjoying some of the beautiful weather that we've had, walking outside, and just talk to God. 
when you're on, in the car and you're, and you're driving down the road, when you wake up in the morning and you greet the day, even when you don't feel like, oh, rewind, especially when you don't feel like it. Amen, somebody? Amen. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. Well, the enemy wants to make sure you always feel that way. Right. I don't want to pray today. The enemy wants to make sure you feel that way. I don't feel like loving my neighbor right now. Yeah. It's kind of his thing. He doesn't want you to feel that way. But I'm not walking by my feelings or my emotions. I'm walking by faith. Amen? Amen. How many times have you been in a situation where you didn't feel like doing something, but you did it, and afterwards you were glad you did it? It's called going to the gym. <laughs> right? Or you've had similar experiences praying. I don't feel like praying, but you made the decision to do it anyways. Wow, man, I'm glad I did that. Maybe even coming to church. I don't feel like coming to church today. But man, I sure am glad I did. I'm glad I made the decision to wake up. Amen? Amen. You, you see, because here's the thing. If, 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 if I always respond to that habit when that cue comes by just repeating that same old cycle to get that reward, then I am getting in this cycle of craziness where there's no true end in sight and there's no freedom. I'm just medicating my emotional stress or, or my fear or my doubt or whatever the case may be. But if I run to Jesus and I put him first, the reward is going to be much greater than any pill, than any pornography, than any food, than any relationship, than any money or job or position could ever be. That's right. We just have to trust that he's good. If we trust that he's good and we trust that God is better than those things, yes. then we'll pursue him first. I think the problem is sometimes we think that those things are better than God or that God is going to use those things to give us what we want. And God is saying, no, I'm not going to operate through those things to give you joy and peace and happiness. I am peace, joy, love, yes. gentleness, yes. kindness. Amen? He said, I am those things. It's not what God gives you in order to give you those things. It's that he is those things. So why not seek him? Amen? Instead of seeking those things from other things. Why would I look for that new job to be my source of joy? Or me having enough money in the bank account to be my source of peace? You see, if I truly understand I'm valued by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then I go, you know what, God? I could have none of those things and still know that I'm loved and valued and significant. And then I'll begin to act like it. Amen? Amen? You see, we need to invest in the discipline of seeking God first, and it's going to have a ripple effect in our lives. We need to invest in that. You carve out time to start your day with the Lord, Whatever, wherever you're at, however simple that it has to be. Don't let the intimidation of something complex or, or what someone else that you heard that they're doing that was sounded really impressive to you keep you from doing what you can do where you're at. Start somewhere. I guarantee you, you start somewhere, you're going to grow. Amen? Amen? That seed doesn't start off being some huge, gigantic tree the very first day, right? right. It's got to grow. You've got to grow. You've got to grow, and God wants you to grow, but you need to water that seed. You need to nurture it. You need to take care of it. You need to invest in that relationship. Do not be content with where you're at in your relationship with God. I'll almost say that again. Don't be content with where you're at in your relationship with God. So many people think, oh, I come to church, oh, I'm a good person, and they're content with that. That's not all there is, folks. That's not all there is. Dive into him. Pursue him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yes. And watch the ripple effect of this keystone habit affect every area of your life. Amen? Amen. I'm going to give you some practical ways before we 
uh, receive communion here as a church family this morning. Ways that we invest in seeking God first. Just some practical things here. Did you know that on Version that there are Bible studies, and they're free, and they're really good? I've checked them out, and I've, I've looked at them, and the ones that I've found so far, I give myself of approval, and I haven't read all of them, but I really like the ones that I've been through so far. And you can actually be friends with me on Version if you have that app on your phone, and you can see the ones that I've gone through, and I really, I really like those. Um, and, and if you ever wanted to maybe make a group study out of it to where you and some of your friends said, hey, why don't we go through some of these Bible studies? And, and man, it's so easy. You know, people will spend so much time. I wonder if we could time how much, how much time we look at our phones and, and are on Facebook and YouTube and stupid stuff like that. I wish there was like a timer that would go off and we could look at that and go, wow, you know what? I really do have some extra time in the day. I just really think I'm busy because somehow I managed to squeeze in this much time to look at all of these things. And most of those devotions on there, I mean, maybe five minutes tops they take, you know, if that. So I would encourage you, um, take advantage of those and uh, look at some of the ones that I've done or, 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 or if you want to suggest one or whatever, it's great. I'll, I'll do one with you if you want to shoot me an email or something just to encourage you. So take advantage of these tools. Community groups here at Word of Grace, this is how we sharpen each other. We invest in seeking God first by building those relationships, and that's where relationships really get deeper at Word of Grace is through investing in community groups. And community groups, I know some of the deepest relationships have come out of the groups that have met through Trek or the groups that have met in homes and some of the deepest contacts where we can encourage one another and do life together. Amen? We're going to have a lot more of those coming out here in just the next few weeks, and we're going to be talking about that. And, and I would encourage you. This helps you to seek God first by being with other believers. It encourages you. Another thing is to pray for others. And I put echo there not because I want you to say it back. Like, praying for others, pray for others. You can say it if you want to, but that's not why that's there. The reason I put that there is there's an app that I found. It's called Echo. I just found it last week. Um, and you can check that Echo app out. It's a prayer app. And it's super simple. It has two buttons on it. One of them says uh, add prayer request. One says pray now. And you basically just say uh, uh, put the prayer request in. And then when you take time out to pray, you just hit the pray now button. And it has a little slideshow for you that you can just scroll through the different prayer requests. And it's super cool because how many times do people say, hey, will you pray for me about this? And we go, yeah, and then we don't. Right? Hey, I need a lot of prayer right now. Oh, we'll be praying for you. And then we go and watch TV or something stupid, right? Unless we pray right then, most of the time we forget. This is a great app. It's a free tool that I found. I'm just trying to put more tools in your hand is all I'm trying to do to help you grow. It's fantastic. I'm using it. I started doing it. I think it's awesome. Um, Echo. So check that out if you have a smartphone. Um, if not, find out some way to kind of journal your prayers. It's a great way. Just start prayer journaling. Write things down and, 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 and watch how God will do things. Even on that Echo app, they also have a place where if a prayer gets answered, you can put on there the praise report. This prayer was answered, you know, and just have that almost as a personal prayer journal. It's such a cool thing. So put God ahead of your decisions. This is another way to seek God first. We always want to involve God in crisis mode. But what about the decisions that we make in our lives? Have we thought about consulting God? We'll consult Google. We'll consult Wikipedia. We'll consult our neighbor. What about consulting God? Is it the right time for you to buy that car? Should you take that promotion? Sounds like a good opportunity, but have you asked God about it? Should you take on that second job? Or is that something God wants you to do, or is that something you want to do? Ask him. Because guess what? He cares. If he cares about that number of hair on my head and he cares about grass, he cares about that. Amen? Amen. If he cares that the grass is going to have the right nutrients, sun, and water, he cares about the decisions in my life. That's right. 
You see, God cares about those things. Sometimes we don't want to bother God with that. God's like, I have so many things that I've created that I care about. Why would you think I didn't care about your life? Seeking God first will be us involving him in the decisions we make in our lives. And then spending time with God alone. I think it's great when couples spend time together with God. And I would encourage you to do that. If you're married, spend time with God with your significant other. If you have children, spend time with God with your children. Involve him at the dinner table. Pray. Um, and try to get into the word together. Even if it's something you have to start off small with, it's okay. Don't be weary in well-doing. Amen? But as great as that is, as great as coming to churches and we're spending time with God together, we're allowing God to speak to us through his word. And that's great. We're allowing uh, ourselves to experience God together, worshiping him and singing songs to him and praying together. Those things are wonderful and great. But never neglect spending time with God with just you and him. Amen? Amen? And I just want to remind you of that, to take time out daily, just you and God. Whether you're, you're riding a bicycle or whether you're just walking down the road or whether you can take that break by yourself and you can just go outside for a moment, I mean, or whatever the case may be. Don't forget to spend time with God alone. Matter of fact, I would encourage you, if you're married, before you interact too much with your spouse in the morning, because sometimes that's when things can start to... If we just say something wrong or do something wrong or whatever, why don't you, instead of carrying that junk around that you're upset about, why don't you take it to Jesus first thing in the morning and then watch how you treat your spouse differently after you spent time with God first before you spent time with your spouse. Watch God do something special through that. Amen? Amen. Watch, watch how you respond to your boss who's been a jerk or that coworker that you really don't want to deal with. Watch how you respond to them if you've spent time with the Father first in the morning before you go engage or have to interact with that person. Watch what better customer service you'll give at your job if you spent time with the Father first thing in the morning. Amen? Amen. Because you understand I'm feeling that love of God and I want to love other people because of that, so it makes me want to yes. serve them. Amen? Amen? See how this works? Keystone habit. Seeking God first. Put him first in your life. Start where you're at. Pastor, I don't know what to read in the Bible. I've, I've gotten like to the third chapter of Genesis like 50 times in my life. And then after that, I don't even understand. It's all Greek to me. Actually, it's not. It's, it's Hebrew and Aramaic, but that's okay. <clears throat> but here's the thing. If, if, you, if you've been doing that over and over again, do something different. Read the words of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read through a psalm. They're very encouraging and uplifting because it reminds us of how beautiful and amazing God is. Read a proverb, a book that's full of wisdom. All I'm telling you to do is start somewhere. If you're, wanting, if you're a new Christian or if you're new to trying to develop and investing in your relationship with God, don't start off reading the book of Chronicles. You, you, I mean, what does this even mean? Start somewhere. Start somewhere small. Start somewhere where you can grab a hold of something. Amen? Amen. And so I'm just trying to give you some tools to help you to spend time with God, to seek Him first, and let it change your life. We're going to receive communion here, so if our ushers would go ahead and prepare to do that. Let's just pray together while they're getting ready to do that. Okay, guys? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.